We started our fall sermon series on the letter of Jacob last Sunday. Please note that I'll use the name Jacob and James interchangeably because James was an anglicized name of Jacob. As I said in the last sermon, he was a half-brother of our Lord Jesus, and uh, people call, didn't call him James at the time. They called him Jacob. The English translation failed to transliterate uh, Jacob because of anti-Semitism. So Jacob is the uh, correct pronunciation. And uh, Jacob, the first elder and the bishop of a Jerusalem church, wrote a letter to Jewish Christians scattered in the world because of persecution. If you're a pastor and writing to your former members in tough time because of a faith, what would you say first? As you will see, James did not begin his letter with any thanksgiving or consoling word like Peter and Paul did. But he started telling them about the hard truth James' style or approach is a straight and direct. For instance, in this letter, there's 108 uh, verses and the 59 imperative verbs. That means a command. Uh, scholars think that a, a letter of uh, Jacob or James is a compilation of uh, sermons. Recording and I think topic. Jacob was not an insensitive, task-oriented leader, but a thoughtful, instructive pastor. His comfort, he rather comforted people not on the uh, warm feelings and euphemism, but based on God's truth and wisdom. So to his uh, former church members, the persecuted Jewish Christians, the first teaching of a book of, or letter of uh, Jacob was about the truth of uh, trials. So let's read our text today. Jacob chapter 1, verse 2 to 18. Consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of, any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe, not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of a sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in the humble circumstances ought to take a pride in their high position. But the rich should take a pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. But sun, for the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under the trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of a life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when, 
they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. That after desire has conceived, it gives a birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives a birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of a heavenly light, who does not change like a shifting shadow. For he chose to give us birth through the word of a truth that we might be kind of a first fruit of all he created. Today's text about trial is considered by many biblical scholars as a thematic, thematic passages of an entire letter. In this passage, we hear key words like trials and temptations, prayer and wisdom, poor and rich, which we will see later in the letter. So while each subsection is worth digging, I decide to reflect on, reflect on them together with its connection to theme of trials. Jacob teaches us a full main truth about trials. And if we understand and apply this truth of trials, we will grow and glorify God more than ever, more than when, when more than when we don't have a trials. So four truths of a trials are following. Let me give you an outline. Purpose and provision and uh, precaution and promise. Okay? Purpose, provision, precaution, and promise. First truth James teaches us is a purpose of a trial in that God perfect us through trials and perseverance. Look at the verse 2. Consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of a many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jacob jumps on us with a strong, surprising call for joy when it comes to trials. He said, we must consider our trial a great joy. If you play a word association game, what word would you associate with a trial? If I say trial, what would you say? Most people say pain, suffering, stress, escape. Joy would be the last word in my mind. But James tells us today to rejoice in our trials. And here, he was not just saying, you know, joy, rejoice, but he said trials give us not just any joy, pure joy, pure joy. In Greek text, actually, it is all joy, all joy, because there's nothing to be wasted in trials. So ESB translates this verse in this way, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of a various kind. And later, verse 12, James repeats the potential positive outcome of trials. Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under the trial. Having stood the test, the person will receive crown of life that the Lord promised to those who love him. Verse 12, James used the language of a beatitude. Blessed is he. And this is not a coincidence. 
You know, James was remembering the original beatitude of his half-brother, Jesus. Remember, Jesus said in Beatitude Matthew 5:11, Blessed are you who, when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Trial of a faith is a great honor or badge of honor reserved for the prophets of God. By the way, prophets of God are the single most important servants of God in the Old Testament. Now, James was not the only church leader who saw positive purpose of a trial. Paul and Peter also said similar things. Let me first quote to Paul in Romans 5.3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance. Once again, perseverance. And perseverance produces a character and character produces hope. It is a biblical, basic biblical truth that those who love God will suffer trials of a faith. You know, trials... And uh, trials are not inseparable from true followers of Christ. So James assumed the trial as an inevitable fact, not just a potential or possible, you know, uh, uh, poss uh, optional, optional possibility. So that's why he said in verse 2, whenever you face the trials of a many kind. You know, Jacob didn't say, if when you have, if you have a trial. He said, whenever, not just when, whenever. Whenever means you need to expect the trials and not to be surprised, but be ready. Just like when we are in school, you know, we are not surprised by, about the test, right? You in school, you expect all kinds of a test, including the unannounced, you know, pop quizzes. You know, that's how we learn. By the way, I hated the pop quizzes that when I was teaching at Baylor ADV, I never gave a pop quizzes, you know, so. You know, James actually used the word, it's testing of your faith in verse uh, three, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The Greek word for testing is a dokimion, and uh, this is a word came from metal refining process. Dokimion is a, metal refining process, such as that of uh, silver and gold. And this is a actually very rare word used in the New Testament and used only at the time, which is in the first Peter. So let me read a first Peter verse six. In all this, you greatly rejoice that though for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the pro proven, proven, Genuineness of your faith, of a greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in glory, praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. Trials for believers, according to all these biblical writers, becomes a crucible to refine and purify our faith and character. A renowned uh, New Testament scholar, Douglas Moo, he, kind, uh, he 
he, he said on this, difficulties of our life are intended by God to refine our faith, heating it in the crucible of our suffering so that impurities might be refined away so that it might become pure and valuable before God. The testing of a faith here is not intended to determine whether a person has a faith or not. It is rather intended to purify the faith that already exists. I think the last statement you know, is right on. Because having faith in God does not mean absence of problems in our life, but actually presence of other problems. I'll call it meaningful problems. So when you become a Christian, when you follow Christ, don't think you have problem-free. I'm sorry, I have a bad news for you. Problem continue. Life continues to be hard. In a way, it'll be, it can be harder than before. But at the same time, the great news is that you will have a power, you will have a purpose to transcend your you know, trials and problems. And today, God said, God will perfect us through the trials and problems. You know, it's just like when you marry, you have a different, new, you know, deeper problems than when you were single, right? You know, problems in marriage, for me, it's not just given. It's actually blessing in disguise to grow our characters. You know, that's why Socrates said, marriage will make you either happy or wise, like a philosopher. Hopefully, you know, all of us become wise and happy. Helen Keller once said this, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of a trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. So trials is like a test. And let me tell you, when do you study more? When you have tests or when you don't have tests? Most people study when there is a test. That's why schools have a midterms and then final exams. Likewise, a spiritual life and maturity is achieved through trials and suffering. So, a pastor said, I like this expression, trial can turbocharge your sanctification and maturity. Let me repeat that. Isn't that a cool, cool statement? Trials can double turbocharge your sanctification, spiritual growth, and maturity. You know, for instance, when did you become a compassionate and a kind? You know, when you go through some tough time and you are desperate for, you know, other people's help and somebody came along and, you know, talked to you compassionately and kindly. That's when you realize that I will do the same thing for those who go through the, you know, difficult times. You know, recently I talked to uh, a seasoned businessman in our church about, uh, you know, how do you help, uh, you know, somebody who started a business new? You know, without a second, you know, he said, Pastor Paul, he needs a failure. <laughs> he needs a failure, you know? And uh, he said that basically he needs a failure to learn. And then basically there is no better teacher and better business school than failure. You know, so he was saying that he shouldn't be surprised when he have a failures in business. 
you know, there's a lot of bumpy road and each time he should learn. That's how we'll become a good businessman. So, trials is a God's, you know, crucible to burn, separate all the inessentials and impurities from our life and our heart and our characters. Let me move on to second point. Second truth of trial is that God provides his wisdom for our trial through our prayers. So, you know, God never expects us to go through trial alone. God helped us. So verse 5, if any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and he will give it to you. Now, Bible tells us that God is gracious, that he doesn't allow us to be tried beyond what we can bear. And when we are tried, when we are, you know, tried, God provides a way out so that we can endure. What is God's way out for us in trial? That is his wisdom. That's God's wisdom. Now, why is the wisdom is so critical in our trial? Think about it. What is a trial? You know, trial, what makes a trial a trial? When our wisdom runs out, when our understanding underwhelms us, that's when trial becomes a trial. Trial means our lack of adequate coping mechanism. You know, when we, can, when we are totally helpless, our knowledge, our expertise, our connection, everything that we know doesn't really help us. That is a trial. And God said, you need my wisdom. Now, what is a wisdom? What is the wisdom the Bible talks about? You know, let me give you one simple definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the application of an ultimate truth, that is the truth of God, to my life. When you know how to apply God's truth to your life, that means you have a wisdom. C.S. Lewis, you know, expressed in this way in his famous book, The Abolition of a Man. It's a very interesting quote. There is something which unites the magic and applied science or technology while separating them from the wisdom of the earlier ages. For the wise men of old and the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform soul to objective reality. The solution was a wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. But for modern people, cardinal problem is a how to conform the reality to wishes of a man and the, their solution is a technique or technology. In the abolition of man, C.S. Lewis is basically uh, critiquing the uh, British modern uh, uh, philosophy of education. They're basically saying that all this morality, humanity stuff is totally uh, unnecessary. You just learn to be uh, you know, STEM-oriented. You know more science and the more, you know, whatever math and all this, you know, that will develop the more technique, sort of a modern magic, to bend the reality to your wish. Make yourself more convenient through the technological, you know, uh, knowledge and, and, you know, application. And C.S. Lewis said, no, 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 that's not the wisdom. That's the modern wisdom. And of course, secular wisdom, real wisdom, there's an unchanging reality that God created. 
That's what it means by objective reality. And the real wisdom helps us to conform our soul to the God's reality, the ultimate reality. And today, you know, James or Jacob said that God graciously and generously gives wisdom anybody who prays to him humbly and wholeheartedly. And here James said, when you ask God, you must believe and not doubt, verse 6. And the person should not expect to receive anything from God if he is a double-minded. Okay, we need, to, we need to have a clear understanding what James thinks. James was not saying having faith doesn't mean you don't have a doubt. There are a lot of biblical, you know, uh, heroes of faith that had a doubt. Abraham had it. Gideon had it, right? You remember, right? So he does not mean faith is completely, you know, separated from doubt. What it meant by here is that when you seek God, you seek God wholeheartedly. The word double-minded in Greek word is a two souls, two souls. So he's saying that when you, you know, when you seek God single-heartedly, wholeheartedly, God will, you know, to grow and to, to really especially to conform your heart, your life, and your will to the God's objective reality. Then God will help you with the wisdom. Now, this is still abstract, but I'm so glad Jacob or James is an incredible pastor. Because the next, you know, truth of a, a trial, he kind of gives us the wisdom we need in trial, in particular two areas, okay? So, the third truth of a trial is that of precautions, okay? And here he gives a two kinds of a precautions or warning. One is a particular precaution, the other one is a pathetic precaution, okay? So, just bear with me. So, God said, you know, uh, the first precaution is actually, it's about money. Look at the verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take a pride in their high position, but the rich should take a pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. You know, trials make us extremely sensitive about money, <laughs> right? We just saw the last year, pandemic really challenges everybody's financial life. And that's why government gave uh, the subsidies. And I'm so grateful to receive the subsidies. And uh, I am doubly proud of uh, some of us gave their subsidy to help out some of our church people. You know, last year we had a forest family relief fund to help out, and we helped out the four families. I'm so proud. As a pastor, I'm telling you, times like that, I'm proud to be a pastor. You know, I'm, I'm really grateful that your generous, you know, sharing of your extra, you know, not so much of extra, but, you know, resources. Now, James called today the poor saints believers in the humble circumstances. Humble circumstances. He's associated poor with the humble. Literally means humiliated. 
Because the poor's experience of a trial is a doubly hard, because it affects not only their material life, but their mental health. Poor go through trial doubly hard. You know, my mother once told us, told me, that uh, that hunger is the greatest sadness that she experienced. And mother, my mother experienced a lot of hardship in life. She experienced uh, her parents' divorce when she was young, and she grew up under very unkind, uh, you know, stepmother. And she went through the Korean War. She lived in the, you know, uh, a, a refugee camp, and then she immigrated three different countries. But among all the hardship of life, she said hunger is the greatest sadness. Because when you are hungry and nobody gives you food, you feel like uh, no, nobody cares whether you're alive or dead. Trial for the poor is both physically hard and mentally humbling. Okay? Now, Jacob said, poor believers should anticipate. How do they overcome? They should remember their poverty is only temporary. And then they have a great glory waiting for them. Paul, Apostle Paul said that too. Do you guys remember that our study last year in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So Paul said, poor saint, you're not that struggle for a long time. Remember, there's a hope. And our hope is growing more and more every day. Teresa de Avila, great saint in medieval time, she said the most worst suffering in this world will, you know, when you get to heaven, it's a nothing but a, just a one bad night in the cheap motel. You know, that's what Teresa Avila said. Now, if you look at it, James was a more giving a longer warning to the rich people. You know, almost doubly in length. And uh, for that, you know, I want to, uh, I want to share the uh, very interesting book written by an uh, English Puritan pastor named John Flevel. He was a 16th century uh, writer. And he wrote a book called the Keeping the Heart. Keeping the Heart. And the title of the book came from the Proverbs 423, which says, above all else, keep your heart for everything you do flows from it. So in that book, John Flebo, he described the 12 seasons of a life or 12 situations of life where it's very hard to keep our heart to God. And those 12 seasons of a life will be like uh, uh, adversity, you know, persecution, danger, when sickness comes to you and somebody, you know, vilify you, somebody, you know, criticize, criticize you for no good reason, you know, being abused, all the list. But guess what is the number one situation? He says it's very hard to keep one's heart to God. Guess what he said? Number one season. So dangerous for us to keep our heart to God is prosperity. Prosperity. In his book, he quotes the same Bernard, who said, To see a man humble in prosperity is one of the greatest 
rarities in the world. Why? You know, obvious, for, you know, rich people. You know, for them, trial is not a big deal. They have uh, resources to deal with. So when we hear about all these celebrities, you know, they're having COVID vacation in exotic places, you know. And today, guess what James was saying? You're in big, big, big danger, big, big, big trouble. Because God allowed the trials to purify our character and our faith and perfect, our, perfect us. But instead of relying on God, you are using your own resources. You're just playing with the trials and you are wasting the trial. You are wasting divine purpose of a trial. You're in great danger. You know, paradoxically, people without trial, that is in great spiritual danger. Because they are so self, you know, uh, kind of confident. And they kind of forgot the ultimate reality. And the, what is the ultimate reality? James said, you will not reach forever. Your wealth is like a, what is a morning mist or a flower that blossoms just one day and then a few days later it's gone. Just as a poor will not be forever poor, rich will not be rich forever. And you are wasting God-given you know, blessing of trials. So that's the, you know, the precaution, particular precaution about wealth that James gives. And then he gives another precaution, which I call the pathetic precaution. Look at the verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted beyond the evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives a birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives a birth to death. I want to say this. Some people turn trials into temptation. And we need to know the difference between trials and temptation. Trials can be the occasion of a sin. But temptation is a cause of a sin. Trial is occasion, but trial is not. Trial itself is not the cause of sin. Not everybody in trial sins. Actually, saints, they mature through trials. You know, it's like... Uh, I, I was a teacher, so, I, you know, I give a test, I give assignment, so I, you know, I give occasion of a suffering. But my purpose of giving assignment is to make them better, smarter. But some students, unfortunately, they cheat. I hate to give a written assignment. Actually, at DBU, Sorry, I gave up the, uh, I, I, I stopped giving the term paper because I'm sick and tired of finding plagiarism all over. And the undergrad don't ever plagiarize. These days, it's so easy to find out. I mean, sometimes it's, it's, it's tragically cute because they, they write like a junior high school and all of a sudden there is a PhD writing comes out. It's like, I plagiarize, I plagiarize, find me, find me kind of screen. 
You know, so I, I, I was sick and tired of correcting pleasure, you know, calling every older process. I stopped giving actually term paper assignments and the, you know, different research assignments. But point is this. I give them an occasion, not the cause, to sin. And, the, you know, speaking about temptation, James gave a sexual metaphor to describe the process of a sin, right? Look at the uh, verse 14. He said that each person tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. The Greek word for evil desire is epithumeo. Epithumeo. Literally means strong hot breath. Strong hot breath. Like an epicenter. Strong center that creates the earthquake. That's an epicenter, right? Epithumia is that when you are lusting something, and then you become a, you know, your breath is hot. That is the idea. Now, so some English translate this, you know, epithumia as a lust. The word enticed actually means a lure, seduced. So here is a sexual imagery. Temptation is like a lust seducing a person. And when we succumb to temptation, what happens? Our lust get us pregnant, conceived, and they conceive the sin. It doesn't end with a sin. You know, the lust have a grandchild name of death. Lust gets to sin, sin begets, you know, death. So, let me ask you, how are you doing, especially in this trial of a resilient pandemic? Somebody said we are like the fourth surge. Is this a third or a fourth? Someone said it's a fourth. You know, I heard the bad news that it'll deep down a little bit and the will have another one coming in the winter. So we are in the long haul here. You know, with COVID, will last for a while. So when things get tough, where does tough go? Unfortunately, some tough go, Netflix. Staycation, overeating, some kind of self-indulgent, you know, habit. And they're saying, that, leave me alone. I'm in this unprecedented pandemic. Let me at least pamper my desires for my mental health. You know what? That's not the way to take care of your mental health. I want to, I want to, Remind you again, what we do in this pandemic will become our testimony to our children and grandchildren. People talk about what happened to us in nine, you know, 20 years ago in 9-11. Just like that, 20 years from now, our children and grandchildren will ask, what did you do? How did you, you know, cope with it? And then you're going to say, I had a binge watching of a Netflix. Is that what you're going to say? No? Let me tell you, I pray that when things get tough, tough get transformed through prayers and perseverance and wisdom of God. I want to bring a special attention to the parents of children, especially older children and middle schoolers and high schoolers. We plan to have our first PTA uh, just about a week from now, right? The Monday. 
I intentionally use the politically sensitive and provocative word, parents are required. You're required to attend the PTA. Why? If parents don't pay attention to God, don't tell me later why your children are not following Christ. If you take God seriously now, so will your children sooner or later. If not, you are unknowingly creating most spiritually vaccinated non-believers. Do you know every child and the teenagers in our church, they have a potential non-believers. And then they have a you know, we don't, they have a reason. I've been to church, nothing impressed me. What are we gonna say? They've been to church for many, many years. I, the, the saddest people in this world is not a non-Christian, but a Christian, the children of a nominal Christian. They are the saddest, tragic people because they heard about gospel. They never saw the gospel. And the, how did they see the gospel? When parents take God seriously. Amen? And I want to really tell you, I'm proud of our you know, youth teachers for you know, guys and girls. Do you know one of the teachers, he drive almost two hours to get here every Sunday? You know, even though he goes to his house church via Zoom for the Sunday school, I mean, for the, you know, class, he comes out here. And imagine there's no student in his class. Let's not kid ourselves. We cannot, our, we cannot outsource our children's spiritual life just to teachers. We have to work with them. We are the co-laborers and partners with them in their life. Let me move on to the final you know, conclusion and the uh, fourth uh, final truth. That is that uh, God promises the best for his children. If you look at the verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Once again, trial, Satan always deceives us to take the easy way out. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from Father of a heavenly light, who does not change like a shifting shadows, he chose to give us a birth through the word of a truth that we might be kind of a first fruit of all he created. You know, last truth of a trial is about God's powerful promises. And James, you know, ends his teaching on trials with the goodness and kindness of God. So James here calls God as the father of a heavenly light, who is unchanging in his character and love toward us. You know, when my child goes through trial, guess who is going through trial? Me. You know, when children go through the trial, parents go through doubly more. So whenever I, every week I, I, I check everyone's, you know, prayer requests from house church. You know, oftentimes, a lot of parents, their prayer request is basically the children's, you know, struggle. And I get that. That's the being a parent. If a human parent, heart goes out to their struggling children, how much more our Heavenly Father will be with us. So know this, you are never alone in your trial, in tribulation. Our God is a doubly Emmanuel, Emmanuel. 
You know, today, James started his, his topic of a, a trial with a, first with a call for joy. And he ends with recalling them about their birth, spiritual birth. So what's the connection between a joy and then birth? That comes from perseverance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the Hebrew chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, let us run with a perseverance. Okay. I want you to learn the one Greek word today. I'm sorry. It's upomone. Do we have that upomone? Oh, yes. Praise God. Upomone. Okay. I want you to say upomone. Upomone. Upo. Upo means under. And the mone is abide or remain. You know, when Jesus said, John chapter 15, that, uh, you know, abide, if I, you know, if, you, if I abide in you, you abide in me and my word, ask whatever you want, and, uh, you know, I'll grant it. You know, that abide means mone. Upo means uh, abide under. Abide under. Upo mone. Upo mone. It's translated as a perseverance and sometimes as an endurance. So let me finish this. Let us run our race with a perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of a faith. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured upamone, the cross, scorning, shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, once again, upamone, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hebrew writer was basically saying this. In order to win the race, you have to have an endurance, and your endurance comes from Jesus Christ, our Savior and the Lord, who endured his trial for us. That's how you and I have a birth. And God who gave up birth, this is an eternal birth, through the sacrifice and the endurance of his son, will not, you know, forget us when we struggle. God who gave a birth will protect us and keep his eyes on us for our health and growth. Hallelujah. You know, 1 John 4, 4, Apostle John said, Dear children, you are from God. And from, because you are from God, you overcome the world because the one who is in you is greater than one who is in the world. In another word, our Lord is greater than our giants that we face every day. Hallelujah. No matter how trials are intimidating, love of God is a greater and it's proven in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's love for us is a never dying. God's power is a never failing. And he is with us and is perfecting us through trials. Let us pray.